0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
1: Welcome to a Turn on the Jets digital special presentation. My name is Scott Mason. You can follow me on Twitter at a jet one And in a little bit, you are going to hear from Joe Blewett. We are going to be doing a lightning round style look at all of the prospects that he looked at film for for the 2019 NFL Draft. There were 20 of them. We did full shows on the three guys that we expect to be in the mix at the number three pick, Josh Allen, Nick Bosa, and Quinnen Williams. He did 17 others, and we're going to do them in lightning. lightning round style. We're going to do two parts because as you know, when you listen to Joe do these film breakdowns, He likes to talk and really explain himself, which is great. It's what makes him the best at what he does. But it also means that we're going to have to break it up into two shows. We'll get to Joe in just a little bit. But before we do, there is some news going on around the team. So, of course, we go to our man who is the owner, the operator, the lead reporter, the whole shebang over at JetsInsider.com. And, of course, above all of that, a very big deal, Mr. Chris Nimbley. Chris, you are back from Forum Park what happened today, man?
0: Oh boy. So much excitement. It was just, uh, yeah, no, okay. I'm lying. <laughs> um, pra- practice, uh, was very uneventful. Uh, it, it, you couldn't, you can't, re- shouldn't even really call it a practice. Um, and this isn't a knock on it or, or anything, obviously. Uh, but it, it's just sometimes, you know, everybody thinks that, uh, everything about being heat and sweet sometimes it's incredibly boring and we sat there and we watched practice they brought out the offense the offense did some light drills and did a little bit of stuff work together but nothing that you could even take anything away from. And then the offense went inside and the special teams did their thing. And then the defense came on to another field and they went through a bunch of drills and it was kind of cool to sit there watching uh, Greg with two G's Williams running around Uh, firing off some quips and, uh, you know, yelling some stuff. And uh, it was, it was some little things like that but overall it was a whole lot of nothing and i with most of us reporters were basically just discussing our game of thrones theories and talking <laughs> about end ga- avengers end game which led me to call today the uh, nerdiest uh, football practice in the history of the world um but yeah you know it was you know obviously good to see some of the the, the players back out there Feel a little bit of the energy. A lot of the players are happy to get back into the routine of doing some football, but there wasn't really a lot to take from it. The big, the big takeaways were really about two players: about Brandon Shell and Marcus May. Uh, Both of them were fully participated in all the practices. Again, they didn't ask a lot of them, Um, but they both looked pretty good Uh, afterwards. Adam Gase said that they you know they're not 100% yet they're going to have to be eased in and all this but they seem to be healthy and they seem to be uh, progressing nicely and if you know barring any setbacks they should be fully ready by training camp comes around and you should have no, you have no worries about them participating in training camp and And the season and everything there, as long as they don't have any setbacks, those are the big two takeaways there.
2: While sports can bring us so much joy, it can also bring us a lot of unwanted stress. And that stress can make it difficult to concentrate, relax, and get decent sleep. Sunday Scaries was launched in 2017 by two best friends and business partners, Bo Schmidt and Mike Sill.
1: two notable absences today one of them was darren lee the other was Le'Veon bell let's talk about this you would assume that lee didn't show up because he probably thinks that he's about to be traded or he may have even been told that they're looking to deal him so not to show up so that was one the other one was Le'Veon bell he didn't show up and quite frankly chris i think this is proof that he's a malcontent It was a mistake to sign him. He's an attitude problem. He's a diva, and they should probably find a way to try and get out of the contract, right?
0: Trade him to the moon. Trade (laughs) him to the moon.
1: I would like to remind people, for anybody that doesn't understand this, these were voluntary workouts. And by the way, players of Le'Veon Bell's stature often skip these. Yeah,
0: they often skip them, and it's not a big deal. Tom Brady has skipped it. Ben Roethlisberger has skipped it. I mean, plenty of times players skip this, you know, and that sometimes there's a little something to a player skipping it, but that's usually contract related when it's actually significant. And they, but again, you know, Le'Veon showed up. He was here for the first week of the voluntary stuff. He got, uh, you know, the playbook information. And uh, Adam Gase was asked about it after practice, and you know, the, he just said, "It's voluntary." And he's like, "Listen, Le'Veon's been through this. Like, we know what he does. He's it's he's not." You know, just uh, you know, performing working on his next album and touring across the world. He's training, he's working out, he's butt. Like he he's going to be in shape. They trust him to do that and they're in communication with them, and Gase talked about this. You know, now with iPads and all the technology, they can send him any type of information. He can get all the uh, classroom stuff that they're doing. And some players just prefer to work out on their own in the off season. They prefer their routine. The regiment that they go through, the working out with you know their trainers or whatever. Some players prefer to do that, and that's what Le'Veon Bell decided to do. And it again, yes, it is voluntary. The word voluntary it literally means voluntary. I know there was a little bit of something going on where somebody on Jets Twitter was uh, confused apparently about the word voluntary. What it actually means, but that's what it means. It means you don't have to come, and it cannot be held against you, no matter what the Tom Coughlins of the world want to try to make it out to be. You know, obviously the old guard of of Twitter and the football people were very unhappy about it, and this has to change, and this and that. But man, again, he's not the first player to do this. He's not going to be the last player to do it, and it doesn't matter. He's not some rookie. He's done it before. This is his routine now. That's that simple.
3: Hey guys, Greg Peterson here with the Baseball Betting Podcast. As we know, the MLB season is back in our lives. It's going to be a 60-game sprint
1: I think it's different if we're talking about what happened with Calvin Pryor a couple of years ago because he was a guy that was basically going to be fighting for a roster spot. And if that's the situation, it's really a bad idea to not show up to these things because you want to make the best impression possible and not put yourself in a position where you're giving them ammo. But when you're talking about somebody like Le'Veon Bell... Who cares? I'm sure in a couple of years, Sam Darnold won't be showing up to these things. Anybody that's a star veteran is not going to really worry about showing up. Maybe they do. Maybe they don't. Like you said, a lot of the big time players skip these things. Really not a big deal. It is a little interesting that Darren Lee didn't show up. And again, I think that that telegraphs that something is probably coming.
0: Yeah, and just one real quick before I get to Darren Lee. Again, uh, I, what did I just say about the practice today? They didn't do anything. It was I guarantee you what Le'Veon Bell did working out training on his own was more taxing than what they did at practice today. So let's, let's get that out of the way. But, yeah, with Darren Lee, you know, he, he's, he's not somebody who's typically missed that, whether it's him making that decision, the team making that decision. It just makes more sense, especially – you know, you, normally they have these mini-camps after the draft. So, uh, like, that's what happened with Calvin Pryor. They drafted Jamal Adams. Calvin Pryor didn't show up, um, and then they traded him. But it's before the draft. So, and, uh, you know, we've been talking about this for months. That there's a very strong possibility that Darren Lee will be a, involved in a de- draft that draft day trade. He can't show up here to get hurt or anything like that. So someone told him to stay away. He chose to stay away. Regardless, it doesn't really matter. You know, we talked to McCag then had a pre-draft presser. He was asked about, um, you know, if about them possibly picking up the fifth-year option on Darren Lee's contract. Of course, he didn't say anything one way or another on that. Uh, You know, typically tap-danced his way around that. But we all know that if – even if he's still on the team after the draft and is playing for them next year, they're not picking up that fifth year option. And it we like we've been saying all along, it just makes sense for them to try to get something back for him if they're gonna be able to get, you know, a good enough draft pick, not you're not just gonna pack send him away for a sixth or seventh, but a good enough draft pick and they will happily ship him off.
1: And it appeared that that might also be the case with Robbie Anderson. There was a rumor floating around. I believe it was Tony Pauline saying that the Jets were shopping Robbie Anderson and that they would be willing to take a third-round pick. This made no sense to me whatsoever because why would you trade a guy that developed a real rapport with your second-year quarterback? In fact, if you go back and look, you go into our archives. And talk about the Robbie Riddle. That was our most recent episode with Michael Nanny in the Chronicles of Nania. He documented. What Robbie Anderson did in those last four games when Darnold really hit his stride, his numbers were outstanding. So why would you trade a guy like that now for a third-round pick and create an extra hole for yourself? It didn't make any sense to me. Didn't make any sense to you either, Chris, which is why you checked into it. And you found out that, well, it's probably not happening.
0: Yeah, you know, I saw the report and I just started laughing. But I was like, all right, let me check in and just to see what happens. And the response I got was like an indignant response. Like, what, what, what? Why are you even asking this right now? And, you know, I had to explain myself. And it was just like, this is a, no, this is, it doesn't make sense. Like, again, now, last year, you know, this time of year, that, that would have made sense. You know, coming off the offseason he had last year. You know, getting uh, the, the issues with the law because you know he, he didn't end up uh, you know getting charged with a lot of that stuff. It was dropped, uh, and it was mounted to a speeding ticket. But they love what has happened since then with Robbie. Adam GaSe is very excited about what he can do working with Robbie Anderson. I've I've been saying it since the Adam GaSe signing. I've been saying like. The big, biggest silver lining in this is, I think Adam GaSe will be able to use Robbie a little bit more and extend his route tree a little bit, use him more on some crossing and underneath patterns, and do different stuff to manufacture touches for him, which will in turn open it up a little bit more downfield and open up for everybody else. And again, like you said, there's the uh, you know the chemistry he developed with Sam Darnold. His team doesn't have that enough weapons to just be getting rid of a, a deep threat like Robbie Anderson. And then on top of that, there's there aren't very many people that are bigger fans than Quincy Newton was uh, as a receiver than, than I am. But look at Quincy's injury history. And then all of a sudden, you trade. What happens? You trade Robbie. Quincy gets hurt again. Jameson Crowder, who we both agree is an excellent pickup, but he's coming off an injury last season. All of a sudden, you trade Robbie away, and this receiver court becomes very thin, and they're not in a position to just be discarding talent like that. Actual, bona fide, real talent. And yes, Robbie doesn't, as the most complete. Uh, receiver, but he has a skill set that is hard to find in this NFL And uh, teams want to be able to take advantage of it. And they're going to want Sam to continue growing with him. And just, again, it makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. They really like and they're excited about what they can do with Sam and him going forward. Gaze is excited about working for him. He's excited about his role, about everything that's coming with him. It just... I am not saying he's untouchable if somebody's coming around giving them you know a late first or second round pick I'm sure they would think about it but they signed up to a second-year tender, too. They're not going to sit there. if That's the other thing. If they were going to trade him for a third-round pick, it probably would have happened already.
3: Hey, guys. This is Greg Peterson, host of the podcast Hooping with Hoops. Despite the fact that college basketball is in the offseason, it's never too early to get a jump start on taking a look at these teams because there is now 357 of them for the upcoming 2020-2021 college basketball season. I'm going to give you guys a deep dive on every last one of them. Keep up with all the transfers in college basketball, and so much more. You are able to subscribe to Hoopin with Hoops on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, TuneIn, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
1: This strikes me as another case of some sort of wild rumor that got started and people started talking about it. And some people were trying to talk themselves into it. But again, why create a hole like that? It doesn't make any sense to me. And I talked to Joe Caparoso about this on the Turn on the Jets podcast. If you haven't listened to it yet, go ahead and download it. But I talked about two things as far as getting cute with draft picks. One of them was when Bill Parcells traded Hugh Douglas to Philly for a second-round pick because he decided that Hugh Douglas wasn't a good fit for the defense that he wanted to run. Of course, Hugh Douglas went to Philly and made three Pro Bowls after that, had double digits a couple of times and the Jets struggled to find somebody to replace him until they were able to draft John Abraham but the point being it always looks nice until you actually are on the clock and see who you can pick with that pick and then you say huh maybe I'd rather have that guy that I just shipped off for that pick I think that's the case with somebody like Robbie Anderson look if the Jets were going to get a first or a high second rounder they'd be fools not to take it but if you're talking about a third rounder I'm not so sure that the odds of replacing him with somebody of equal or better value are that good, especially considering how young he is and considering how well he worked with Darnold down the stretch of the season. So I didn't think that this was legit, and I'm glad that your sources backed up What we were just talking about, that it made no sense for the Jets to deal Robbie Anderson for a third-round pick at this point. I also think that the Jets should be careful as far as trading down in the draft, which is the next thing that we need to talk about, Chris. Because there are reports today from Connor Hughes at The Athletic that the Jets are looking to trade down. We knew this already, that there have been some teams that have called. They talked about the Redskins specifically. I don't know that this necessarily means that anything is really in motion. I'm sure that the Redskins are calling to check in just like anybody would. Everybody's jumping to conclusions. But I will say this, the same way I said with Hugh Douglas, sometimes these picks look better on paper. I talked about this in-depth with Joe Caparoso, but I still have vivid memories of 1997 when Orlando Pace was the number one player on everybody's board. Everybody knew how good he was coming out of Ohio State. Everybody been talking about him since he was a sophomore. Everybody knew that he was destined for greatness, but Bill Parcells decided he needed to get extra picks because the Jets had given up picks to get him away from the New England Patriots, and he wanted to replace those picks. So he traded down twice, ended up with James Farrier, who was okay here. Ended up going on and becoming a really good player with the Pittsburgh Steelers because Parcells had miscast him here. But Orlando Pace, of course, goes on to a Hall of Fame career like everybody expected, wins a Super Bowl, and is one of the best tackles of all time. And to me, the lesson there is that if there's a player that you think is going to be elite, sometimes it's better to not overthink it and to just stay there and take that guy. Because if you were to go back and look at the extra picks that Bill Parcells absolutely had to have, they were not all that impressive. Trust me, you would have rather had Orlando Pace than what they ended up with. So I think... If Quinton Williams or Nick Bosa is on the board at number three, they should really think hard about trading down unless they get some sort of crazy offer. And to that end, we talked about Ed Oliver yesterday, and Chris, I asked what the end game would be here and why this stuff was getting leaked. Well, one of the things that I said to you before we started recording, and I actually didn't say it on the show, but I probably should have, was I was wondering if maybe the Jets had intel that the Raiders really loved Ed Oliver, and so they were floating that out there as a way to try to scare the Raiders into trading up from number four to number three to make sure that they get Ed Oliver. Well, Peter Schrager from NFL Network thinks that that might be the case because he says the Ed Oliver stuff is all smoke, and that if Quentin Williams is on the board at number three and the Jets don't trade back, that Williams would be the pick. Let's just say this right now and spare ourselves from having to say it a million more times. Every time we talk about this stuff, it should all be taken with a huge grain of salt because nobody really knows anything. We can all think that we know what Mike McCagnin and the Jets are going to do. We can all think that we know what their board looks like. We can all think that they're definitely going to take a certain player or they're not going to take a certain player. And I'm sure Peter Schrager has sources, but these teams purposely lie and float misinformation out there so it's possible that what Schrager has is true it's also possible that it's completely false but the main story here is that the Jets continue to take calls about the possibility of trading down and if they stay at number three there's conflicting reports as to what they would do
0: yeah look there's there's a lot here and I'll start with if you go back and listen to our show yesterday I I tried to set you up for the alley-oop with that theory uh because we were talking <laughs> about it and i was like i interrupted you to be like you got a theory about this and then you, you weren't sure what i was talking about and i was too <laughs> tired to like make a point about it so i would just let it slide um but yeah and that's something that makes sense but of course at the same time like you just said that, that makes perfect sense it sounds it sounds logical and reasonable but I don't know who, who told uh, Peter Schrager this, and I don't what's that smoke. So, like, maybe, maybe the Jets really are in love with uh, Ed Oliver. And we talked about how that seemed to be everywhere last year. So maybe somebody went to Schrager and said, hey, throw this smoke out, you can't throw other smoke out, and it's just a big, giant mess. But um, – the the thing with trading down now we've talked about this obviously all, all off season and I every time we talk about it I throw out Washington as a possibility and we talk about it you know because Washington is a team that we could see giving up a, a first round pick next year you know a, a healthy package move up to get one of these quarterbacks. Washington makes these types of uh, decisions. Daniel Snyder is known as somebody who, if he gets something in his head that he wants, he will do whatever it takes to go after that, and he will make impulsive, uh, irrational decisions. So it's not, you know, uh, every time I mention that them as a possibility, I didn't have any other information except for history at my disposal, and it makes sense, but and you know, but at the same time, there's a good possibility that that's why they're bringing brought up now is people are just connecting the dots and using history to say, hey, this is a good possibility. Now, McCagnan did tell us at the pre-draft presser today, he told us that you know what he will be willing to take uh, in exchange for a pick, to, like how far he will is willing to drop, will depend in large part on the return so if he's going to drop back to you know 6 with the giants he'll be, he'll be willing to take less than if he drops back to 15 with washington if he's dropping back to 15 with washington i think they're getting a nice haul whether it's going to be something that would be enough to placate you and keep you happy we'd have to wait and see but i would imagine to jump up from 15 to 3 there's going to be a first round pick next year involved and then at uh, that plus so it's still, again, I could easily see Washington making that type of move, you know, it's not something that a uh, team like Cincinnati is typically known for, to do. but I could see them trying to make a move of some sort, there, there are still possibilities for them to trade down, how far down they go is going to determine how much McKagan will demand back in the trade, but that, you know, I we've talked about this too. I am, we have a slight disagreement here. I'd be willing to take less than you would. I do agree that they k- shouldn't just, just take anything, but I'd be willing to take a little less than you did. You would. And again, that is mostly just rooted in the fact that I, if it was me making this call, I'd be doing everything I can to add more offense to this team and build everything around the offense and, um, but, yeah, there's there's a lot going on there. and uh, you know, But, it's again, it's all smoke. It's it, it's impossible to read. And we're going to have to wait and see. He's going to get calls about that pick. We know for a fact he's interested in trading that pick. There's just no way for us to know what exactly it is he's going to hold out for and if anybody's willing to meet, you, meet him there. This is the Overtime Podcast Network.
1: I think it ultimately comes down to who's on the board. And what they yeah. think of that person As far as how much they'll be willing to accept So it'll be interesting to see what happens But we do know that that third pick was not moved For Frank Clark because Seattle Ended up trading him to the Kansas City Chiefs For what essentially amounted to A first and second round pick I gotta say I'm stunned I didn't think that they would Get that much so good for them But according to Connor Hughes over at The Athletic He says that Seattle wanted The third pick the Jets said no And that's more or less as far as it got The Chiefs offered something that the Jets could not and quite frankly, I never would have offered what the Chiefs did, but I get why they did it because they could make the case that they were one home run pass rusher away from going to a Super Bowl because they were so close last year ultimately, I think that McCagne made the right move if that's how it played out Chris, what did you hear about this Did you hear more or less what Connor did?
0: yeah it's basically that you know like I said yesterday again they they checked in Seattle was saying give us the the third overall pick. The Jets were saying, no, obviously, and then they're looking and they're like, well, you don't have anything else really to offer us that we want. And I said again and again that if Seattle was going to trade him before the draft, that they were going to be holding out for a first-round pick. I I am with you. I'm a little surprised they got as much as they did. I thought it would be a first-round pick in uh, you know, I thought they could get a first-round pick plus something. You know, a third or a fourth, or you know, a third next year or a fourth or whatever. I thought they could do something like that. But a first and the second, and then the swapping of picks—I forget the exact details of the swapping, that swapping. That—that's a really good haul. But again, like I, we talked about last night too, for a team like Kansas City, the, it makes a lot more sense to, to. They're close to a Super Bowl. They were. They were. A D Ford staying on sides away from going to the Super Bowl last year. They lost D Ford. They lost Justin Houston. Now they actually upgrade with Frank Clark over D Ford. He's a, a better, I think, is a better pass rusher, and he's also a better run defender. And they're going for the Super Bowl. They're you know they kind of pushing the 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 line on the cap there already. Uh, they're making this run for the Super Bowl now and the, right now you look at it just simply to evaluate the trade. The Seahawks won the trade because this is really good for the Seahawks, but if the Chiefs even just get to the Super Bowl next year and it's like Craig Clark plays a part, then the Chiefs did very well in this trade and it'll end up being a win-win for both of them. So it just, it's one of those things that, the situation dictates it. And it kind of like how I talked about in the offseason before free agency, how Le'Veon Bell was worth more, was more valuable to the Jets than he was to other teams because of Sam Donald in his second year, because of their lack of playmakers, offensive line concerns, all that stuff that made Le'Veon Bell more valuable to the Jets. When a team is has such a great offense like the Chiefs, They're going to be Super Bowl contenders. They just need a little help on defense. That makes Frank Frank Clark way more valuable to the Chiefs, so they're willing to give up that much to go ahead and try to make this push right now this season.
1: Three takeaways from this, Chris. Number one, I think Seattle got a lot for Frank Clark and good for them. They held out, and I think what ended up happening was We said yesterday that the Chiefs were going to have to be the team that stepped up and met the demand if it was going to happen before the draft, because I didn't expect the Colts to do it, and we knew that the Jets didn't have the ammo to do it, so the Chiefs, I guess, decided they didn't want to deal with competition later on. They had the ammo to pull this off, and so they did it, and good for them. I think it'll work out fine for both sides. Clark gets himself a ton of money, so good for him. As far as the fallout, and this leads to the other two points I had, first of all, Jadavian Clowney is a guy that I would keep an eye on here because I think the Texans are looking to deal him, whether or not it's to the Jets or to somebody else, but I do think that it's somebody that we should keep our eye on because mccagnan has got connections in that front office. They do have cap space. Maybe if they're able to get him for draft picks next year, McCagney thinks about it. I wouldn't give up a first rounder next year for him because I think he's an above average pass rusher, but I don't think he's special in that area. So he would be an improvement, but not enough to be giving $20 million a year and give up a first round pick. But still, that's something that we should monitor because I think that the Jets may at least dip their toe in that water. And the other thing that occurred to me, and I said this to you before we started recording, and I said it when it happened, the Jets should have gotten in on D Ford. He ended up costing only a second rounder next year and also got half the money that Frank Clark got. Looks like a real bargain for San Francisco right now. And even if you want to argue that Clark is better or even that Clowney is better, for the amount of money and the compensation that was given up for Ford, let's remember he's only 28 years old. It's not like he's an old man. I really think the Jets made a mistake not getting more aggressive there.
0: Yeah, I mean, just real quick with that, uh, I do think Clark is better than D. Ford. I think D. Ford, I'm not going to say D. Ford's a better football player than Jadavian Clowney. But he's a much better fit for the jets than Jadavian Clowney
1: and a better pass uh, rusher too.
0: Exactly. He's a better pass rusher, which is what they need. And the jets have had a, a good run defense for, for forever. Those players are still here. And really like th- this is going to sound like an insult to Jadavian Clowney, but he's a better Leonard Williams. Like he's an, excellent at run defense and he's above average pass rusher where you know leonard williams isn't even the above average but it's not very above average with and Clowney. and then you have to factor in all his injury history so that's another thing you got to worry about there um i'm not giving up a lot and then paying jadevian Clowney because of all of that uh he is definitely a, a, again an excellent football player very good against the run and but i you want the edge rusher. You want the guy off the edge. So get somebody who is excellent at rushing the passer. Uh, J- Davin Clowney is good. He would improve this team, obviously, but at that price tag. And, you know, again, now, if you can get him for a third round next year, then sure, you know, something that I'm not saying don't don't do it no matter what. But I'm not giving up a first or something that valuable for Jadavon Clowney, and then paying him, and then having to worry about the injury history. And again, he's not that dominant of a pass rusher for me to do that for. Where D Ford, at least, you know, he D Ford is not good against the run, but who really cares? They they can bring him uh, the rest of the defense to handle that. Give up some run plays, whatever. He, he you need him to get after the quarterback is something he can do. But you know they're gonna have to look for that elsewhere. And again, we'll see what they do. But if they, if that pass rush comes from the inside, I'll say it again, that's not a bad thing.
1: By the way, the amount of money that Frank Clark just got is further proof that the smart teams take care of their players early because they get a bargain. And to that point, Arif Hassan, who's one of my favorites, he writes for the Athletic in Minnesota. He tweeted out today after the Frank Clark deal came out where he got sixty three and a half million dollars guaranteed and five years at one hundred five point five million, which is just slightly over twenty one million dollars per that Daniel Hunter got five years seventy two million. Oh, that so such you, a good deal. Yeah. If- That's how it works. You get guys before they hit the market. You generally get them on a discount, and it's smart to take care of your players early. So that's something that all teams should think about, and hopefully the Jets will be in a position to think about that because hopefully they will start to draft better, and they'll have more players that they'll actually have to take care of. We're going to find out if the next chapter in that draft history is better than some of the previous years in just a couple of days. So excited for it, and in fact, I'm just really looking forward to this whole thing being over. All the chatter, all the rumors, all the smoke screens, all the talk. I've had enough of it, Chris, but we will talk more about it tomorrow because there's another practice that's going on tomorrow, so we'll talk about that and whatever else comes down the pike. Thanks so much for hopping on with me, Chris. We'll talk again tomorrow. In the meantime, why don't you tell anybody where they can find you if they don't know where to follow you on social media or read your Very Big Deal work.
0: Yeah, JetsInsider.com, dot com, and you can follow follow me on Twitter at uh, at jetsinsider or at c nimbly. Uh, yeah, so that's where I, I do most of my tweeting from from the at c nimbly account.
1: Thanks, Chris. Talk to you tomorrow. Now let's talk to Joe Blewett because, like I said, we're going to do kind of a lightning round. We did separate shows on the three prospects that we expected to be in the mix for the number three pick. Josh Allen, Nick Bosa, and Quinn and Williams. And now we're going to get to the best of the rest. There are 17 other guys that you've done breakdowns of. So what we're going to do is we call this quick hits. I'm going to throw a player at you. You're going to tell me your quick overview, strengths, weaknesses, and where you have them ranked on your board. And then we're going to move on to the next guy. And so we're going to start with the next pass rusher after Josh Allen, the next highest rated pass rusher on your board is Brian Burns of Florida State. Tell me what you found on him.
4: Um, Brian Burns, super lanky guy. Uh, played at 2:30, 230, 2:35. So I was always concerned because when you're watching him on film, he's you know he's great hands. He has absurdly, absurdly good bend. Like I compared him when I was watching the film on my show. Like those, uh, those like ninja bikes you race, and you see the guys like knees touching the ground. Like that's how low he gets um, on some of his bends as he's as he's rushing up the arc and around to flatten to so get to the quarterback. Um, so you see that he's very springy, uh, very, very, very good. Um, elite first step, which he could actually improve a little bit because he's a little bit of recoil in that first step. Uh, really good arm length, good wingspan. So you rarely see guys get away from him in the open field. Um, a lot of that arm length too comes into play when he's getting he's rushing around the arc. And if he goes a little bit too deep, he's able to reach his arms out there and swat the ball away from the quarterback. Quarterbacks and you saw multiple uh, forced fumbles. And that arm, that arm, that arm length and that wingspan also comes into play. There's multiple plays. I think it was versus Clemson on the goal line where, you know they're leaving him unblocked on the backside of the play on an, on an inside zone read option. And he'll dive. He'll, he'll you know, he burst off the ball, um, attacks the mesh point where the quarterback is handing the ball to the running back, uh, dives with both arms out and he tackled the quarterback and the running back at the same time and forced the fumble. <laughs> like, so he's a really good athlete, but, with that strength, you know, there's problems in the run game with knowing how to set. Sometimes not be overset. Sometimes he pushes too far vertically or horizontally, allowing a bigger V-gap and not containing the edge like he showed with, you know, just st- uh, simply stacking and shedding and holding his ground. Um, so there's some problems with technique there. There's some problems with strength there. There's some problems with awareness there. And then, uh, in terms of rushing, you know, turning that corner and flattening, uh, there's guys like, you know, Bosa and Allen who could bend that, you know, arc and bend through contact. And I always say power through contact's an important thing because with Brian Burns, you see it where, you know, uh, if somebody gets the, their hand through his hip or to his shoulder, he gets pushed up the arc because he doesn't have that power through, uh, contact. So he gets pushed out of the place. So, um, he is my number, let me bring up my board. He's number seven on my board. So,
1: and you're number three rated pass rusher, correct? Uh, yes. Yep. Let's go to the next highest-rated pass rusher on your board, and that is Montez Sweat. Tell me about him.
4: Uh, Montez Sweat's a guy who I see as a a really really good run defender, a run defender in the NFL. I know he had a great combine, um, numbers popped, and all all of that. And you see the really strong, really strong hands, really good length, uh, good bull rush, good push pull, good club rip. He has good effort. Uh, he plays the the run game very very well because of that strength. And that uh, and that length, so he's able to stack and shed and and contain the edge very very solidly. Um, and like I said, he has a few pass rush moves, but he doesn't have the necessary bend to be a guy who's going to be getting you know twelve plus sacks a year. I think I think the high end for him is you know maybe maybe eight to ten because he doesn't have that bend. And we've talked about those five traits, and we talked about them many many times. And some people um you know have their own five traits but you know i'm on the similar thinking of i know you brought up brett coleman and a lot of other people um but you know the strength the technique the burst the bend and the arm length and you know montez sweat has you know the the, the be- he has the uh the burst he has the strength he has the arm length and he even has like huge to a certain extent but he's severely lacking in the bend or he really does not have good bend um good hip flexibility and good ankle flexions, so he's not really going to beat guys around the arc, which is going to allow you know guys to set inside verse him um, and and shut him down there. So uh, I see him as a really good run defender, good athletic guy. He'll make a ton of plays in in the run game. he will chase guys down with his with his effort, and his top end speed. But I just don't see him as a guy who's you know warranted as a top ten pick to me um, because of the of the lack of bend and like I said the the lower um, type ceiling. So like you said, he is my number. Uh, for pass rusher, but he ends on my board at number 15. And you have to, and you have to note with the, uh with my board, I didn't do certain guys. Like I didn't do Christian Wilkins. I, Cause I don't think the Jets are ever going to draft him. Um, I didn't do Kyle, uh, Kyler Murray or Dwayne Hassons or any of these type of guys. And there's some guys I left out. Like, you know, we can argue Andre Dillard or Risen or something like that. So, um, when you hear the the end of my rankings, you see my final board, you have to understand that those guys were not, uh, I, I watched some on them. Like I like to have a knowledge, but I didn't do an extensive breakdown on those guys. So
1: there are 20 players that Joe reviewed and he's going to post this up on Twitter so that you can see the full list, but that's what we're working off of. So when Joe says a player is X number on his board, that's what he's talking about. He didn't review every single player at every single position because, Quite frankly, nobody has that kind of time unless they're a professional scout. And so Joe was just going based on the guys that he thinks the Jets might realistically draft <laughs> at some point. whether Scott,
4: it's a- I, I, Scott, I don't even need to be a professional scout. You just got to pay me.
1: <laughs> a professional something It reminds me of that line on Hawaii Five O When Scott Kahn is wearing this suit And they're going on an investigation And Alex Lachlan's character Says to him, what are you doing? He said, dressing up, want to look like a professional And he says, a professional what? That's kind of what it is, Joe. You're a professional something if somebody's paying you. So whatever it is that you're a professional at, if they're giving you money, you could be a scout or you could just be a dude who sits around watching film. Either way, somebody pay this man as he continues to crank out these insanely detailed film reviews, which, by the way, again, you can catch at Turn on the Jets TV on YouTube as we get to your next edge rusher. And that is a guy who there was a lot of buzz about early, but it's tapered off a lot. That's Cleland Farrell of Clemson.
4: So Farrell's a guy who he started the the process and I remember him being talked at as like, you know, potentially Jets at number three, potentially Jets if they trade down to five or six, and people were viewing him as a top ten guy. And I remember um, watching the film and you know, we were saying like I had some bold takes because you heard, you know, Farrell as a top ten, top, you know, five type guy, and I was like, I don't really like this guy too much. Um, and that's why he is what my like you said, my my fifth rusher. And I think I forget exactly where he is, um, on my Board. I think he's fourteen or wh- wherever wherever he is on my board. I can I can 16. pull that up in a second. Yeah. So I haven't met I haven't met sixteen. Like, I I do not remember every single one of the guys on my board <laughs> memorizing, hey, Well, he's fourteen. You know. So, but in terms of Farrell, he's a guy. Uh, kind of a little bit like a, a like a sweat in a way. I think he has a little bit more pass rush. I think he has a little bit more bend. And I think actually for his size, I know he's like a solid like two seventy 270, two seventy five. I think his first step is actually um, solid for that. I'm not going to say lead or anything like that, but for his size, it is it is solid. But it, like I said, it's not it's not top notch. Not top. What did I just say? Top notch. <laughs> top notch. Uh, there's always random words that come out of my mouth. But um, sh- uh, you see that you see the length, you see the strength, you see that you see the size that he has, you see the power. Um, The athleticism for his size, he could beat guys inside or out. He plays in two-point stance, three-point stance, four-point stance. Um, He's good at stacking guys and and shedding blocks, you know, on the edge. And um, he has a variety of different moves from swipe to to double swipes, to long arms, to club arm overs, to spins, to club rips, to bull jerks. So I like his technique, but he's kind of a guy in terms of the scale of, like, athleticism where I don't think he's ever going to be a guy to get a ton of sacks. I think he's going to be another guy. Uh, who's a different player than Montez Sweat, but the result will be the same where I think he wins with a little bit more technique and a little bit uh, more of control on the edge um, than a guy like Montez Sweat, but he has better technique than a guy um, like a like a Montez Sweat. So um, that's why I see him winning. And, you know, he's 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 powerful for his, you know, he is powerful and you look at it in the grand scheme, but I think for his size, I think his power is a little bit um, overrated at, at times as well too. Like, and you like know, see some of the speed he has turned into power. Um, let's see some more bull rush in that, in that, uh, you know, in that way. So he's kind of a he's a technically refined guy with with the lack of of elite um type type traits. Who I think is a pretty, I think he has a pretty high floor, um, but a relatively low ceiling. I'm not saying like a high floor like a guy you know as high as Bosa's or as a guy you know like um like Quentin Williams, but I see him like as like a maybe like a more refined pass rusher than like a Jordan Jenkins type. That's, that's kind of what I see him as. Um, obviously Jenkins is a third round pick and, and he's going to be a first round pick because of um, some of the better athleticism that he has. Uh, and some of the other traits I was talking about with his technique and pass rush moves and be able to stack pass rush moves, which Jenkins did not possess coming into um, the NFL draft, which I think he's actually developing quite nicely into his you know third, fourth year, whatever it's going to be. So uh, yeah, Farrell is my, as you said, 15 or 16th player in my, our fourth overall pass rusher, our fifth overall pass rusher.
1: One player that I've been mystified by because I just don't see the hype with him is Rashawn Gary. Do you share my assessment that he's being overvalued by a lot of these draft pundits?
4: Yeah, I do. And there's a reason, you know, out of these 20 players um, that he is, you know, he's 19 and he's the lowest player only, you know, the next lowest player, uh, obviously being um, Jakai polite because of Jakai polite. It's just absolutely like just having the worst possible you know, pro day and, and combine all this stuff where he just looked terrible at adding weight, um, had no explosion. His 40 time, I forget exactly what it was. Scott was like four, nine or five seconds, whatever it was. And he was a guy on film you would expect to be right up there with Burns running, you know, in, in the four fives, maybe even high four, fours um, with, a, with a, the lowest ceiling being like four, six. Like he was that fast on film. Um, and then all of his numbers came out and he was just terrible. He added weight. They looked unnecessary. Um, he, you know, was heard to be a guy who didn't do well on interviews. Didn't really care. So that's a lot of things coming into the draft that are not really, um, helping him at all, where he turned into a player who was probably right in that top 15, maybe 15 to 20 range, who is becoming a guy who might be picked, you know, end of the second, even, even into the third round, um, now, which is, which is pretty crazy. But, yeah, for him, if he does return to his to what he, uh, all right, well we're not we're not even on him, but we're gonna talk about him <laughs> now anyway, So that I'm already talking about him, and then he's my guy below Gary, <laughs> it's already went into him. Uh, but for polite, you you see the you see the you see the burst um, that he has. You see a ridiculous inside spin move. You see the motor that he had on the field, um, and just pure just a blazer. He he has he has the best first step in the in the combine. Um, some of the best bends so he's just a superb athlete who had some inc- inside counter moves and would win inside because he set you so hard outside because of his speed and then just beat you inside uh now he struggled in the run game too because of how light he was at like 235 um and just technique and things like that where he wasn't really strong at setting the edge where he would either get you know uh he would get you know sealed outside or kicked out so far that he couldn't really make a play on uh you know on anybody in the run game, so we had him down at like like so that probably that like fifteen to twenty type range. Um, but with the with the, you know, combine happening, he's like I said, probably a late second, early third round pick type guy. Um, who I'll be finally just taken by the way, if he's there with our third our first pick in the third round because you just cut his weight uh, back to what he was and you use him as a rusher opposite of uh jordan jenkins as like a wide nine type guy i'm completely fine with that but now looking at rashawn gary he originally asked your question about who i probably should talk about first but (laughs) it is what it is i've already done thousands of hours of podcasts with you so i think i have a little bit of freedom but rashawn gary he's a guy i don't understand it either uh i think he's he's an athlete he has you know burst for his size he has some strong hands um he's a strong stacker you know as well really really big hitter he will he will knock your socks off type guy uh, his first step is good. Sometimes I think it's pretty inconsistent though, where he has a little bit of recoil. It's a little bit late. Sometimes he's a little bit slow out of his stance you know, and he has versatility where he played three tech, he played five tech, he played, um, you know, seven tech. Uh, he has the ability, he has the arm length um, and the ability to, to extend. He has a decent push ball. Um, he can link his hands and his feet when he's stacking. I don't really see it too much in the run game, but then you go into his weaknesses, which like, yeah, he's a good athlete and he's strong. But as you know, athleticism is great, but it's all about IQ, how you play the run, uh, how you rush the passer, your your technique, uh, your smarts to see pulling guards, to see zone steps, to see, you know, bucket steps, whatever it may be, uh, to, you know, to see that, recognize it and blow up a play. I don't necessarily see that with him. I also see a, a pretty tight guy. I, I, his change of direction is not good. I think his motor is a little bit questionable. Where he, he gave up on some plays where I didn't want to see him give up. Uh, lateral movement, tight hips. I don't think he has many counters um, in terms of his pass rushing. Uh, you know, the, and he just doesn't. He doesn't rush. He doesn't rush the half man. He rushes a lot of the full man when he's when he's playing. So I see a guy who doesn't have great technique rushing the passer. And also the fact that he's not a great athlete. I think, like, straight line speed type guy, yeah, he's a pretty good athlete. But you, you ask him to, to flip his hips and, you know, and, and flatten that corner or chase guys down from behind when he's having to sift through some traffic and he has to have some loose and nimble hips to get through those lanes. Um, I just don't see him as that type of guy. So uh, I, I think he's a big type projection where, like, okay, well, you see that some of the athleticism that he has in terms of, like, strength and straight line speed. Um, but other than that, he's severely lacking. So uh, when I see, you know, watching whatever it may be, good morning football, you know, in, in the morning and there's guys like, oh, well, could he be the number four overall pick? I do not get it at all. Um, I think he's one of the players. If I had to choose, I think he's going to be uh, a, a big time bust if I if I had to label a couple of guys. I, I just do not see it with Rashawn Gary. I
1: want to ask you a little something about Ja'Kai Polite because you brought him up. He was going to be the next guy I was going to ask you about and a lot of the flaws that you brought up are legitimate, and it would keep me from picking him towards the top of the first round. But if he were to fall all the way to the third where the Jets are picking towards the top of that mm-hmm. round, I love the idea of picking him there because of all the positives that you threw out. And I think with the right coaching, he's a guy that's already shown you on tape that he could be a really good pass rusher and tremendous value for that spot. Do you agree?
4: Yeah, yeah. that's, that's what I was saying before. You just see the explosion that he had on film uh you know in in his uh year at florida um with that bend that he has that's 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 worth it right there we like you i saw my guy like Rashawn gary who has some athletic traits um but doesn't have others brian I, uh High polite has all of them like and i watched so many of his games like i marked it down i watched his lsu game georgia game florida state game kentucky game south carolina tennessee mississippi state idaho Charleston, Southern, Missouri, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Colorado State. <laughs> I watched all those games, and he consistently showed um, that bend, the flexibility, um, that swim move, the inside counter moves. Uh, he stacks moves really quickly and really, really effectively. He links his his, his, uh, his feet to his hands, he nice loose, loose hips. He can slip gaps in the run game. He's not perfect in the run game because of his size, but I think he actually plays it um, you know relatively well for a guy who's what was it, like 230, 235. Uh, good athleticism you know, overall, good effort, uh, good job dipping and reducing around the corner. He he has a really lot. He has a lot of interesting traits. So, if the Jets were to take him, you know, third round pick, pick whatever it is, Scott, uh, you know, sixty-seven or I don't know exactly what it is, um, I would be completely fine with that. If you just make him cut him, cut his weight, he drops down from the two fifty to, you know, that he I think that he tested the combine at to you know back to 230, 235. Um, and even if he's used as a situational rusher where he's going to be you know in the game 50% of the time um and he's gonna rush a passer and he gets you know 10 sacks 10 sacks that year as a situational pass rusher I think that's worth a third round pick in, in my mind so I would definitely take a flyer on him obviously now if he went into the you know meetings and i wasn't in there but if he's like oh well jakai you know tell us a little about yourself no man i don't want to like okay well that's different like how (laughs) bad was it you know like you know there's a little bit different so if it wasn't if it was bad but like maybe he stuttered a lot maybe he was maybe he was really nervous or maybe you know know, his grandma just died like okay you you know you could you could kind of that that's on your judgment that's to your discretion but if he was just an absolute you know prick then we're talking about something different but for me, if they take him in the third round of that first pick, I I'll, would I'll, I'll be ecstatic just because of what he was on film. He's a, he's a top, or he's, a, he's a in that middle of the first round type player on film. So
1: Let's finish up the front seven players that are on your list, and there's three more of them. One of them is Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle from Houston, and the other two are linebackers that I don't think the Jets would draft, but I guess if they trade down, anything's possible. Devin Bush from Michigan and Devin White from LSU.
4: All right, so yeah, Oliver Bush White, who finished uh, – Oliver is at 8 on my board. You have Devin White at 12, and then I have Devin Bush um, at 14. So starting you know, with the highest player in it, Oliver, who I just you – know, I literally just did a show about him. He's actually my last show um, that I posted yesterday, I believe it was. I, f- I forget what I even do shows now. But he's a guy who is, I think, extremely raw. Um, in terms of his his technique and not having a wide variety of pass rush moves, you're I mean, looking at his pass rush moves. You're only really going to see bull jerks, club rips, and club arm over, Minus that, you don't really have much. Um, I think he struggles with consistency versus combo blocks. You see him typically. He's a guy who's going to duck his head and just bull rush a lot. Where you know if he gets to the play and he gets to the running back, that's great. But then there's other you know that 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 two out of ten times he does that, that's great. But then the other eight out of ten times where he just completely takes himself out of the play. Um, you know, that's not good. Like, there was a play that I showed I, I I forget what team he was playing, but they ran a counter um the opposite way. I believe it was counter OF or you know, counter trade, whatever it was. And you see a guy like Quinn and Williams where as soon as the offensive lineman you know starts to pull, he's either gonna shoot that gap on the backside and make that play. Or he's gonna stack and shed and play over over top. Where a guy like Ed Oliver, all, all you know, the only thing he did was duck his head into the center, get blocked. He he blew up. I think he, I think he blew up the center. The center actually fell on the ground but he was completely taken out of the play. So it doesn't look great to bull rush his center and knock him on his ass where people are like, put that as a highlight. Wow, look at that strength. But they don't realize, look at that strength, look how he lowered his head, but he wasn't able to read the play. So that's a lot what you see of him where, like I said, the IQ is lacking, the technique is lacking, um, technique from a wide variety with just, you know, not just with his hands or rushing with his feet narrow. Uh, you know, shedding blocks, the, the lack of counter moves where, you know, he'll try to throw a club and if his club doesn't work, boom, bull rush. Duck his head, bull rush. Duck his head, bull rush. You see it a lot. But he's such an interesting player when you look at his film because of those highlight type plays where you see an elite athlete. He's the best athlete in, in the draft um, to me. Uh, you can argue him or, or DK Metcalf, but I would argue with, with Ed Oliver's size and the speed that he has, and the change of direction skills. I think he's even a better athlete than than DK Metcalf on, on film. Um, so you see that. You see the burst you see the, in that first step. You see the top-end speed. You see the really tight spin move. You see the hip flexibility. You see the ankle flexion. You see the torso mobility. Um, you see the power. You see the ability of him to, to absorb contact and dole it right back out to that offensive lineman. Um, you see the tight elbows in the, in the bull rush at, at times. Um, then when you're watching him, And you notice, okay, these bull rushes are working. He's knocking guys out. This is great. If you can develop his IQ, that's awesome. But something you also have to realize when you're looking at these athletic traits, which the burst and all that's like undeniable. But when you're talking about strength, and his technique working like there's sometimes where his technique is sloppy, where he'll go to throw a club rip or a club arm over, but the, the center catches his chest. But he's able to just power through that because he's playing teams, you know, like Texas Tech, Arizona, Memphis, Rice, Navy. Uh, you know, he's not playing any of these big time schools consistently, so he dominated lower end talent a lot, and especially when you're a guy who's not winning with technique or is winning with power and athleticism a lot versus lower end guys. There's a big jump to take from lower end guys from from Rice and, and Navy as compared, you know, to, you know, the, the Cardinals and the Patriots and whoever you're playing in the NFL level. So that's why I do not see him as a, as a top five player for me. Um, and he is at number uh, seven, I believe I just said, or number, yeah, sorry, number eight. Uh, Burns is number, se- number seven, but that's where he is where he is for me because he's an elite athlete. Uh, but when you're lacking technique, when you're lacking awareness, or just overall IQ, um i can't put you that high so i see what's so intriguing about him if the jets get him and they if they trade down to you know eight ten twelve fifteen sure but if they take him at three like some recent mock draft that i saw i i would be i would be furious to, to be completely honest so they take him over a guy like you know corny williams or even Juwan taylor um you know type guys or josh allen you know so um, that's where he is where he is uh now in terms of devin white He's a, and I texted this, you know, a while ago when I was watching him, super interesting guy. And I think he's the, the player that I recorded uh, probably the most, like, plays of because he's a ridiculous athlete. Now, I don't think he's, like, the top-notch guys um, that we've seen in the, in the past couple of years. He's not like a Roquan Smith-level, you know, athlete. Last year, you saw he's an absurd, absurd athlete. But Devin White is the tiniest notch below him. Um, where you see the you see the athleticism, you see the stop start quickness, the acceleration, the strength, the ability to use his arms, the top end speed, flexibility, bend, lateral quickness, strong punch. You know, dropping his dropping his hips and and, and, uh, and dropping his weight. You know, to get off blocks in the second level, which is really important. You see the high motor, you see the effort, you see the ability to shoot gaps, the explosion, the physical, all this stuff um, that he has, and you know, on top of you know some of the IQ that he shows, plus being a really fluid athlete. And that shows up a lot. But what also shows up a lot is where he just doesn't look like the same player from snap to snap. It's, it's like weird where he'll, you know, he'll, he'll shoot a gap on, on a counter run and, and blow up the run three yards in the backfield. But there's also times where he gets stuck looking inside too long, doesn't notice, you know, the offensive tackle on the deuce block, and he just gets picked up and, and you know, and, and blocked inside and, and trucked over. So, like, it just – the, the, the IQ from play to play is extremely inconsistent. Uh, I don't think he reads the the offensive line really well. He doesn't replays very well. Uh, you see him uh, in, in play action gets sucked up all the time out of coverage, um, you know, consistently. So – and you also see the, the lack of ability to tackle, where he's a really high, high tackler. He's, like, basically that like clothesline guys a lot or attack them, you know – um, on their torso, where versus guys in the NFL, that's, that's not going to work. Um, especially when you're a two hundred thirty five, two hundred forty pound linebacker, so he has to clean up a lot of technique and you know IQ and learning how to tackle and learning um, when to you know uh, you know undershoot a block or overshoot a block um, in terms of like going over top or underneath it, depending on the angle and where the running back is going and all that stuff. Like he's super inconsistent with that stuff, so it's it's you know five plays are great and then 10 plays are awful you're, you're left scratching your head so uh he finished at number 12 um, on my board because of the just pure athleticism that he has where if he learns the game more um he's a super super interesting athlete but uh his his uh, the iq and the consistency um in terms of the technique on a snap-to-snap basis is, is severely lacking and then looking at the next guy and devin bush He's 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 almost kind of he's almost like similar to um, a Devin White. Where he's not as good of an athlete, but he tested really well at the combine. You see the you see the speed that he has. He definitely has a really good speed. Uh, super super aggressive guy. Uh, he he will he will rock uh, rock guys. Um, and you know that that makes a big difference in the NFL when guys get rocked and then you know that guy that next play doesn't want to go across the middle. Um, that that matters. So you see the aggressiveness. You see the you see the motor that he has. You see. Uh, the fact that he's like a shorter linebacker, he has a lot of contact balance because he's so low to the ground, and he has a low center of gravity. he's able to uh, blitz really well, but I think he'd be a really really good blitzer in, in Greg Williams uh, defense. Now I don't think he's necessarily get drafted by the Jets because if they have you know Lee Mosley and Avery Williamson that's, that's a little bit too far for me. I want to take the best player available, but it, it comes to a certain extent where uh, you can't you can't you're not really gonna take him, but um, you see that you see the ability to play square. Uh, you see him reducing body, body or his body when he takes on blocks. Um, he'll take out a lineman head on, which for his size is like two thirty five, two forty another another type like small type guy. He'll take linemen straight head on who have sixty more pounds on him, and he'll and he'll defeat that block and, and blow them backwards. You see the lateral movement. You see um, the position flexibility where he could play Mike, Will, or Sam um, in a four three. I think he could play either of the middle positions. You know, in the um, in a 3-4 defense, even though for for my personal preference, I would like him on the backside of plays, Um, more of a guy who's going to chase things down from behind. Because I don't think his mental processing is too quick where you don't necessarily want him on the front side of plays because I think he could get, you know, blocked out of the plays. But if you're acting to chase guys to the sideline, I think that's where he's a little bit better. So I prefer him weak, but he can play strong as well. Um, And then he's the same type of thing where you see the weaknesses where he does have the length, which is a weakness of his. I don't think he's very good in coverage. The man coverage is definitely not good. Um, the patience in the run game. We see him pressing the line of scrimmage way too early um, and getting taken out of the play, even by not even a blocker, but just himself and running into other blockers. You see the slow processing where uh, consistently it looks like he's just a second late um, to, to react to who has the ball or, or where they're going. Um, I think because of that length too, he has some issues with block shedding when people get hands on because uh, like I said, in the NFL, a lot of it is being able to get your hands on first and inside. And when you can't get your hands on first because you were length, it's going to severely hurt you. Um, Really any position, corner, middle linebacker, outside linebacker, defensive tackle, uh, the position that arm length probably, you know, hurts the least is maybe safety. But then again, safeties also have to play over their head a lot and and try to deflect balls down deep in the field. So, you know, arm length is a really, really big thing. Um, You see him miss some tackles because of that arm length as well. Uh, he's not a guy who's going to react well to misdirection, uh, counters, things like that. So another guy who is going to he's going to rock you and he's really good contact balance. He's really fast, fluid hips. But in terms of uh, his IQ and his understanding of the game, I, I think he's lacking. That's why he's he's 14 for me.
1: Getting back to Devin White for a quick second, I had Brett Coleman on the show and I asked him if he would consider Devin White more or less the dictionary definition of a boomer bust selection, and he said he would. Do you agree with that? Yeah,
4: yeah. No, that's 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 perfect because, like I said, you see the plays where it's amazing, and then you see the play where it's a bust. So you see the boomer, the bust play literally on a snap-to-snap basis. So what player is he going to be? Um, who is going to coach him? Who is going to be his coach? You know, So it, it, that, that largely depends on, I, I think, who his coach is. Um, where he goes, uh, what they ask him to do. I think as a, like I said, a weak side linebacker, where you're going to to chase down guys more sideline to sideline type guy. You're not going to have to be on the strong side where you're dealing with pullers and counters and crack blocks. And he just asks to run sideline to sideline, like I said. Then, then that's a good role for him. Um, but just like with Devin Devin Bush, if you're going to ask him to be on the play side and diagnose quickly. You know, slip bo- slip box, decide when to squeeze or to, or to um, spill a run. I don't trust him in that role. Uh, so it, it, he is definitely a big, big boomer or bust uh, player for me as well. So I definitely agree with that.
1: Thanks, Joe. We'll pick things up with the offensive line tomorrow. In the meantime, make sure you follow Joe on Twitter at JoeRB31. Watch his videos on YouTube at Turn on the Jets TV. And for the latest and greatest in New York Jets podcasts, you know where to go. That's Turn on the Jets Digital and turn on the